Welcome to the Grace at a Glance podcast from Grace Church of Linnets and Grace Creative. We are a Jesus church where the gospel is central, where we love Jesus, build people, and lead revival. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you this morning. Hope you're having a great day in the Lord. We are in this series on the armor of God, which we've called hashtag FitCheck. And uh, you can go back and look at last week's uh, message at the beginning to find out what in the world that means. But here's what we would like you to do. Uh, many of you have social media accounts. There's a soldier without a head out here as you walk in to the auditorium. Did you see him? That empty space is for your head to sit on top of the soldier and for you to post on your social media account, hashtag FitCheck. And then you can say anything you want to about the fact that you're dressed in the armor of God. It creates uh, an understanding amongst us that, hey, this is important stuff we're talking about. Really important in a world that is opposed to us. So we're going to take a look at a couple of passages of God's Word this morning and, and take a look at this second piece of armor uh, in the Christian's uh, array of tools necessary to do battle in an evil world. Ephesians 6, verses 13 and 14, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand Notice it doesn't say, if the day of evil comes. It says, when the day of evil comes. It's not a matter of if evil will come. It's a matter of when. And when it comes, these things are so important. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And as we looked at last week, the order of these things in this passage matters. You put your clothes on in a certain way. And the soldier put his armor on in a certain way. The first thing he did was to put on the belt of truth, which was that which would anchor all of the other pieces of armor. And as we looked at last week, truth in the Judeo-Christian worldview of the Bible is an objective outside force that is authoritative in our life and that is objective, not an internal sense of what is right for me, but an external sense of that which is a higher authority than me, so that truth is objective within the Judeo-Christian world. And it's found in God himself, in the word of God that he speaks, and in the people of God with whom he deposits that word. So historically, the truth was always something contained within the people of God, given to them from God, and entrusted to them as a way of reflecting God to the world. Objective, external, and held by the people of God in covenant with their God of love. So truth for the believer is to be the centerpiece on which everything else hangs. And you know in this world how important truth is in the battle for people's hearts and minds these days. But the second piece, after the belt of truth is put on, is the breastplate of righteousness. 
Now, we might say, what in the world is the breastplate of righteousness? And in order to understand what Paul has in his mind, we have to go all the way back into the Old Testament to a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And Paul, who was a student of Scripture, quotes Isaiah a lot, or alludes to Isaiah a lot in his teachings in the New Testament. And to see Paul's thinking, not only as he looks at this Roman guard who's watching him in prison, and he's picturing what a Roman guard looks like, but he's referencing first and foremost something that he knows from his study of the Old Testament. Let me read this passage for you where God himself is said to wear the breastplate of righteousness. Notice how the passage starts. Truth is nowhere to be found. Isn't it interesting that he starts off talking about truth in the passage? And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one, and he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. And according to what they have done, so will he repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. So we're in a passage here in Ephesians that talks about wearing armor against enemies. And here's a passage in the Bible that says God has enemies. And the enemies of God are those who live in an unrighteous way so as there is no justice on the earth or among the people that God created. And as he looked everywhere, he saw nothing but injustice. And it irritated him and made him mad and set him on a path to fix what was broken. And this breastplate of righteousness, it says, was his own righteousness that he put on and that he went out in order to make things right that were wrong. Now, as Paul was looking at the... uh, soldiers who are guarding him, and as he had this passage in mind, as he's writing to the Ephesians because he's concerned that in this world as believers, having told them all about the fact that this is a supernatural battle among multiverses, that this is not just what you can see and touch, that there's a multiverse of activity that Jesus came to fix. Jesus came to fix what you can't see, and Jesus came to fix what you can see. Remember last week I said, you need to put on, you know, those goggles that they make these days that take you into the metaverse, and you can't see anything in that metaverse, but if you put them on, suddenly a whole realm opens up to you that you can't see. So the Bible says there's a whole realm that you cannot see. And in that realm, just as in this one, there is a battle going on, and Jesus Christ is the victor in both realms, and his goal is to make right in both spiritual and physical or the heavenlies and this realm, what is wrong? As Paul looked at the Roman soldier, this is what he would have seen. He would have seen this breastplate, which covered the soldier from shoulder to shoulder, and it was scaled armor built in four sections. And it covered their main chest and each shoulder. The plates were sewn onto a leather vest. So you'd put this on, and it protected primarily your vital organs, but more specifically, your heart. 
So truth was the belt, the breastplate of righteousness, as he looks at this and makes this uh, uh, parallel. This protects your heart. You can't fight if you're speared through in the heart. You're going to be dead. And the Bible has an awful lot to say about your heart. It says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The heart is that part of your being, the mind that you have. It's the place where you have internal conversations with yourself. It's the place from where you make decisions. And God says that place out of which you make decisions and have your internal conversations must be protected at all costs because in the realm of warfare spiritually, you will be vulnerable to the attack of the enemy if you are not protected. How does this breastplate protect us? First, here's what we learn in terms of the truths of this breastplate. The breastplate is said to consist of righteousness. Now, just like that soldier had a breastplate of bronze sewn to that leather that was sufficient that when the, um, the enemies of Rome would attack the soldiers, he had a shield and behind that shield a breastplate that was going to be sufficient to be able to resist the pokes of spears and swords against it. And so we're said as believers, to put on a breastplate that can protect us, but it's not made of bronze, it's made of righteousness. Now, last I checked, the word righteous, even within the terms of slang in our world, went out of fashion about at least 10 years ago. There's not too many people walking around saying, that was righteous anymore. And even when they did say that was righteous, they didn't mean it the way the Bible means it. But here's a word, right, that you hear righteousness and you say, well, that's a big word. What in the world does it mean? Well, here's the idea. Righteousness refers to God's character in being just and acting in accordance with his covenant love. All right, there's a definition of righteousness. God is just... And in his character, his actions and his character match the moral universe that he's created so that the word of God, the actions of God, and the purposes of God reflect a moral and logical and lawful order between the universe that's been created and the actions and character of God as he operates within that universe. So that there's no hypocrisy between what God says and what God does. That's basically the idea of righteousness. That your actions match your character, and that your character matches the moral order of the universe. That's righteousness. So God is free from any sin. There's nothing in his person that is contrary to the universe and the order of the universe as it has been made. So what's the first thing we're told about this righteousness? God says, wear this breastplate of righteousness. I'm wearing a breastplate of righteousness. And did you see what the breastplate was made of? God's righteousness. It's God's character and his moral authority 
that he invites you to put on. And so that's the first thing we want to to remember. And also then, not only is this righteousness a gift from God, or contains the person of God, it's also a gift from God. Notice this verse in Romans 1. Now you're sitting today in a Protestant church, not a Catholic church, right? You're sitting in a Protestant church, not an Eastern Orthodox church, but in a Protestant church, a Protestant church that has roots in pietism, which has roots in the Reformation, and the Reformation started because of one man reading these two verses. Here's why you're Protestant today. These two verses. Wow, that's heavy-duty stuff. Well, you might as well know why you're Protestant, right? You might as well know why we're different than Catholics. So let me tell you, here's why. Romans 1, 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness, we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness today, right? The righteousness that God puts on and fights the battles with his enemy. What's Paul talking about in Romans 1, 17? The righteousness of God. That righteousness, the reflection of God's character, the thing that shows that he is in line with both his actions and deeds, the moral law of the universe, that righteousness of God is revealed to you and to me that it is a righteousness by faith from first to last. And as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. All right, when Martin Luther, the great Catholic monk and theologian, would sin, all of the various sins that exist within the teachings of the Scriptures and the theology of the Roman Catholic Church, when he would sin and he would go to confession, he would find no relief he would think that between the time he confessed his sin, so he goes into the confessional booth, he confesses his sin to the priest, the priest tells him what to do, prays on his behalf, sends him back out. He walks out of the confession booth, he starts walking back to his office where he teaches theology, he gets six steps, and he thinks to himself, I bet I sinned again somewhere in those six steps. So he would turn around, and he would walk back to the confession booth, and he would say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. And the priest would say, you were just here like 15 seconds ago. I know, but I'm sure I must have sinned again somehow in thought or in word or in deed. And that went on in his life. He was driving everybody crazy, but most importantly, he was driving himself crazy because he got no relief from any of his guilt. All he had was guilt. Now, Luther happened to be a scholar. He understood Latin and Greek and Hebrew, and he studied the original languages. And as he's studying the original languages, he realizes that in the original, God is talking about righteousness that is passive, not active. That righteousness is given and received, but not earned. He had been viewing his confession as a part of a works program to earn forgiveness. And he realized that Paul himself says that's not how you get righteousness. This righteousness from God 
is revealed to be from faith. So just like the ground does nothing to receive the rain except receive it, so you and I get the righteousness of God by receiving it. In all, here's, here's basically the aspects of righteousness that these two verses talk about. First of all, when God allows me to have righteousness, he declares me righteous. The word gospel means to declare. In the gospel there is declared, as I proclaim the gospel, a righteousness that is given to me and imputed to me by God. What in the world are you talking about? Imputed? Yes, imputed means to get something that actually belongs to someone else, but it's given to you. So when God declares me righteous, he does not declare me righteous because of what I have done. He declares me righteous because of what Jesus has done. All right? And when God imputes to me righteousness... He basically says, I'm going to put on your record before the throne of God where you'll get judged the righteousness of Jesus Christ, even though you yourself, in your actions and in your, in, even in your birth state, are not sinless. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my righteousness that's found in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to impute that to your account. And how do you receive it? By faith. Righteousness is given to me as a gift, not as something I earn, and all I have to do is to receive it by faith. So there is a righteousness revealed that is from faith from first to last. The Christian life begins by trusting God, it continues by trusting God, and it ends by trusting God. It doesn't start by me trusting God and then continue by me trying to be a good little boy. I'm going to show you how this all works here in a minute and why the breastplate of righteousness is so important. If you get confused about how you get righteousness and about how you keep righteousness, you just need to go back to Romans 1.17 and read it and reread it. Righteousness is a gift of God. He declares you righteous as a statement of fact based on Christ. He imputes the righteousness of Jesus to your account, and you receive that righteousness not by working hard for it, but by receiving it. You simply receive it. It's a gift. Reach out and take the gift. Don't try to keep earning it. You can't earn it. The breastplate of righteousness, which God tells us to put on here in the spiritual battle, is a righteousness that belongs to God, that is a gift to you, and which he declares is yours. You have to simply put it on. So this righteousness lets me do what? It lets me connect with Jesus and he begins then to change me so that I live in a right relationship with him. That is, I keep in step with God's purposes and I obey. How does it happen? From the inside out, not from the outside in. 
Now, here's what I love about Isaiah 59. When God decided to put on righteousness as a breastplate, you know what the passage in Isaiah 59 is talking about? The larger context is talking about Messiah. It's talking about the person we would come to know as Jesus. And so when God says he was going to put truth on, that he was going to put on a helmet of salvation, and that when he was going to put on righteousness as a breastplate, and he was going to clothe himself with these things, you know what he's actually saying? I am going to become a human being, and my life is going to be truth and righteousness and salvation for you. Since I can't find anybody else to do it, I'm going to do it for you. I will take my truth, I am truth, I will take my righteousness, I am righteous, I will take my salvation, I save, and I will put them on. And how did he clothe himself? He clothed himself with flesh. Right? The Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. And so when God gives us this righteousness, he's giving us not only the record of Christ, he's giving us Christ himself, whom God says comes to live within us that I might pursue righteousness. When I was a kid, I had these little soldier guys. I think every, guy, every boy likes to play with soldiers. And I had these green soldiers, army men. But I had a couple other soldiers. And you could change their clothing. <clears throat> and the way you changed it, they were all made out of, even the clothing was made out of plastic. But the way you would change it is, inside of the figurine, which was made of plastic, there were these little notches, like in the chest area and on the, on the legs. And you could, you could put your hands on the, the clothing and you could like pop it off of the soldier and you could get a, a different outfit and you could pop, you know, he, and he could be an Air Force guy, an Army guy, a Navy guy. I mean, they had all these, right? And you could dress him up however you wanted to play soldiers. And, and you would click this stuff on to the soldier, and it became a part of him. And he was dressed based upon this connection into the notches. You know, God says to you, take the breastplate of righteousness. He's given you this thing, and you place it on yourself. And you not only now have protection against the enemy of your soul... But that righteousness begins to become a part of you. It's as if this righteousness that you've put on by faith in Christ now begins to seep down inside, and in the little notches of your life, God begins his righteousness to transform you from within. And now over time, faith from first to last, over time as you keep believing... As you continue to believe by faith that the finished work of Christ is enough, you then begin to have not only righteousness as a protective breastplate, but righteousness as a transforming agent, changing you into the likeness of Christ over time. And so here Paul says to the Ephesians, look, you've got to put on the armor, and part of your armor is the righteousness. How exactly does that work? Here's how it works. Satan ever show up in your life and tempt you? Sure, every single day you're tempted. 
whether it's by Satan or by the world or by the flesh, there isn't a day that goes by in your life that you aren't tempted to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, see the wrong thing, hear the wrong thing, things that you know are clearly outside of the will of God if you've had any experience with Christianity at all. And here's how that works. Oftentimes, well, it's not that bad. Everybody's doing it, so why should you make a fuss and be stand out like a sore thumb in this world? Everybody seems to think it's okay to do that. You can just go ahead and do it too. And you know, after time, Satan's like a dripping faucet. Drip, drip, drip. And after time, he just wears you down. And you compromise a little bit, and you yield on something that you know you shouldn't have. And this enemy of your soul who loves to tempt you and make you believe that it's not such a bad thing to sin, this individual, once you do sin, shows up and reminds you just how lousy of a person you really are. You know what he says then after you sin? Well, nobody else did that. Wait a minute, you told me before I sinned that everybody was doing it. Well, do you think he tells you the truth? You think he tells you the truth? You ever have a a moment in time when you do something and later you get convicted about it and you think back and you think, why was I thinking that that would be okay? The reason you were thinking is because you have an enemy of your soul who's trying to get you to misstep all the time. The glory of God is at stake. He hates God and he hates you because you belong to God. And therefore, he is going to try to destroy you. He came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's what he came to do. He's your mortal enemy. He hates you, and he's going to do everything he can to destroy your faith. He wants to take your faith, and that's why the breastplate of righteousness is so important, because when you put it on, it's by faith from first to last, and when you struggle with the enemy in hand-to-hand combat, You have to go to the internal place of your mind and conversation, and you have to proclaim and preach the gospel to yourself. Because then the righteousness, which is yours by faith, defeats the enemy and keeps your faith from being destroyed. You know, Satan, you're right. I am the most worst person on planet Earth. And I am the most loved person on planet Earth. Because I have a Savior who, knowing that I would sin like that, still died for me in spite of it. That's what you have to preach to yourself. That's a message of faith. I believe that Jesus' sacrifice for my sin included everything. The worst of myself and the least worst of myself. All of it was taken care of at the cross where the blood of Christ was spilled for me and the righteousness of God was given to me. And now, in the battle with my enemy, as he tries to destroy my faith, I must put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is God's declaration that he is sufficient in his performance to help me stand up against the enemy when I am accused. Righteousness is God's gift to you. It's received by faith continually. As you proclaim to the watching spiritual realm, I am nothing in myself. 
I am only something in Christ, and there's no other reason. I am nothing. He is all. And when I get that in my life, when that righteousness by faith is mine, there is a righteousness which comes from first to last by faith, not by effort, by faith. And when my faith in the work of Christ is renewed daily and I proclaim the gospel to myself inside of my mind and heart, I have peace and freedom and joy because life doesn't depend upon me, it depends upon Christ living in me. And when that happens, I want to obey and love and serve this Savior who died for me. May I never do anything in my life which would bring shame to the name of my God. But it doesn't come from working harder. And it doesn't come from self-effort. It comes from fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. And is that where your eyes are at? As the righteousness of Christ is yours, guess what happens? Your heart is protected. And you get to do some things. Here's what you get to do. You get to aim for righteousness. You know what's interesting about the Christian life? is that we are the best of people and the worst of people all at the same time. It's really true. Let's say you get a big old tattoo on your chest, right? And, you have the, and it's you. It's now a part of you. It's always going to be a part of you. And you have this tattoo. And you go for a job interview, and you realize you can't go into the job interview probably with a tank top. You probably need to put on a nice shirt. And when you put on the nice shirt, the shirt covers your tattoo. All right, sin is like a tattoo on our soul. It's there. You can't make it go away, and it's, it, it's just, right, it's there. We inherited it from, from our forefather Adam, and it's a part of us. But when we put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, what happens to the tattoo? I'm mixing my metaphors. What happens to our sin? What happens, by the way, this is no comment about whether tattoos are good or bad. They're, they're yours. This is just an illustration. But when you put on the shirt and you cover it up, right, people can't see the tattoo. All they can see is the shirt. You know it's there, right? Nobody else does. Now we have sin as a part of our life as human beings. And we understand and recognize, even as Christians, that we're pretty miserable at times. That we sin pretty, pretty badly at times. That we aren't always all that we should be. Sometimes our motivations are wrong. We gossip. We complain. We're bitter. We're angry. We do things and have attitudes that we know we shouldn't have. But then the Bible says, put on this righteousness. And isn't it interesting that once you put the righteousness on, guess what happens? you can begin to aim for righteous living in your life because that's how God sees you. He doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus' righteousness. And now because you know that that's how God sees you, now, as 1 Timothy 6 says, you can aim to live a righteous life. 
Ephesians 5 says that when this righteousness comes into your life, it allows you to produce righteousness from your life. Also, I can receive, once I understand and have this righteousness, I can receive training in righteousness. You want to know why people are defensive when it comes to their faults and sins? Here's why. Because they're trying to live out of their own righteousness. They know they don't measure up. You're reminding them they don't measure up, and it doesn't feel good when you're reminded that you don't measure up. You know? Do you like accountability? I don't. You know what accountability is? It's somebody asking you about this thing that you know is real that you'd rather not talk about. So now you know you've got something in your life that shouldn't be there. God wants to talk about it, or maybe the preacher's talking about it, and you're like, I don't really want to hear that. I'm not sure I like that preacher. I'm going to go somewhere else and hear a different preacher. You want to know why? Because you're trying to live out of your own righteousness. When you live out of the righteousness of Christ, and God begins to instruct you in righteousness and train you in righteousness, he can point out to you the things in your life that still need to be corrected. And you won't get defensive, you won't get mad, you won't get angry, you'll get submissive. Want to know why? Because you're not trying to prove to God you're righteous. You're not trying to somehow, let let me, that bad stuff in my life, i got to make it go away and I can't pretend or even acknowledge that it's there. It's there, God sees it. And when it gets pointed out to you from the Word of God, the Spirit of God, or the people of God, you don't have to hide it. You don't have to get defensive about it. You can just say, yep, this is who I am. And the truth is, if you really knew me, you'd see it's a lot worse than you think. When I live out of righteousness, it's not mine, but given to me as a gift. When I put that on and live with that over my heart, I'm not going to get bitter when people confront me with my failure. That might hurt a little bit. Who wants to be told you're a failure? But if I'm living out of the righteousness of Christ, I can grow from it. I can learn from it. It might take me a little bit of time to process it. But I don't have to be defensive and argumentative because God's in the process of instructing me and training me in righteousness. And listen, one day I'm going to receive something from him. You know what it's called? 2 Timothy 4.8 The crown of righteousness. It's as if you finally get before God and all of sin has been removed from your life and now you're fully righteous and the Bible says you're going to be wearing robes of righteousness and now God takes and he rewards you with the crown of righteousness. Here's what you get for all of eternity because by faith you trusted in the finished work of Christ and his righteousness to be sufficient for your life. Listen, no more long faces or whining as believers. You have a Savior who went to the cross for you. You have a Savior who gave his life for you. You have a Savior who's fully righteous and he's given it righteousness to you. And now it's time for you to start fighting the enemy with the righteousness of Christ as your breastplate and not with your own excuses for either your good or your bad in your life. Your purpose and reason for living is the glory of Christ. Your sufficiency to live that way is the righteousness he gave you as his gift. Do you have that gift? If you have received it, pick it up and put it on and use it against the enemy 
of your life. Hosting for this podcast has been brought to you by Anchor from Spotify. Our intro and outro song is Creative Mind by Ben Sound. From all of us here at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you.